It's one of the most famous paintings in the world, and it's intrigued art historians and philosophers alike for centuries. Las Meninas, depicting life at the Spanish royal court, was completed by the Spanish painter Diego Velázquez in 1656. Its composition has been a source of fascination. 300 years ago, Picasso created a series of work dedicated to it. And it's that fascination and mystery that Andrea Hotteri has captured in her new novel, *The Vanishing Point*. She's created a treacherous trail through the art world, as her main character Alex seeks to understand the clues Velasquez left in the painting, alluding to a royal scandal. Andrea knows art well. She's the daughter of the brilliant artist Ralph Hotteri and the brilliant poet Sylla McQueen. And she's worked as an investigative journalist and TV producer, and is the co-author with Priscilla Pitts of *Undreamt of: Fifty Years of the Francis Hodgkins Fellowship*, which was longlisted in the 2018 Ockham New Zealand Book Awards. And、uh, we chatted to her last. At that time, *The Vanishing Point*, however, is her first novel.、And、to tell us how she came across *Las Meninas*, Andrea is in the Auckland studio. Kira, and welcome, Andrea. Lovely to talk again. Uh, kia ora! Thank you for having me. Lovely to、uh, to be talking to you. And a novel this time, which is quite a different beast from, <laughs>、uh, well, actually different but similarities in terms, I think, of the meticulousness of the research. Andrea, could you just?、Uh, yes, it it is a very different beast.、Um, it took me、uh, a while to work out how to write fiction.、Um, I had to extract myself、uh, from journalism and expo- expositional writing. Also, but、um, yeah, it's been a great journey.、Uh, had the novel always been part of the creative earth you, you hoped for yourself? Because,、um, as we said, immersed from a very young age、uh, in a brilliant artistic words,、uh, world, both visually and through words,、um, was was that a tremendous influence? And was the idea of fiction perhaps always part of the plan?、Um, Uh, yeah, I think I I did come to、um, an interest in words and story pretty early, um, uh, and um, I think I had an idea that at some point I would write a book when I was young. I I, I sort of aspired to, but but it, it, it was quite、uh, a vague. It certainly I wasn't really setting out to be a writer when I was super young. And also, there is the risk sometimes of, of, of、um, I suppose, having such brilliant,、uh, brilliance in in、uh, in your parents when you do grow to adulthood, thinking, can I, you know, and and do I have the right to in my own right? Was that ever an issue, or were you always utterly encouraged? And、uh, um, oh, I was conscious that my parents were、um, doing their things、um, around me.、Uh, I think the healthy thing that they gave me was the sense that art was very much part of their daily life, and and that the process of making art was work,、um, but that also that that process could be really enjoyable. The reason to start in childhood is, in some ways, that is the start of the gem for this novel.、Um, and and you were travelling a lot when you when you were young, right? And、uh, what was the what was the first discovery of Um, a book that perhaps opened your eyes、uh, to this particular painting of a book.、Mm. Oh, you were left. No, you were left reading a book. I think so.、Oh. You, were, you were traveling. Where were you? And where did the、oh. first inspiration happen? Right. Yeah.、Um, 
Dad, um, in the late 70s, um, Dad got a sabbatical, um, actually, from uh, a creative New Zealand grant helped uh, with that trip. And we went uh, overseas for a year from New Zealand, which was the first, uh, almost first flying for me, I think. I might have flown once or so before. Um, and, uh, yeah, we were we were going primarily for him to look at and uh, be involved in looking at art uh, in various places overseas. Um, so that was a great opportunity. The three of us um, packed up our bags and headed off for a year and um, went around a number of uh, amazing art galleries. Uh, yeah, and I was, um, as an only child, um, I was used to spending a lot of time with mum and dad anyway, but, um, yeah, sort of lacking uh, young uh, friends to hang out with. Um, to my mother's delight, I began to read more than I probably previously had um, to fill in some of the time. And were you literally left in a room where this particular painting was hanging at, 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 at one point? Yes. <laughs> You mean you couldn't script it, as they say. Uh, I know. Um, I mean, it's quite, it is quite strange, uh, the way these things come into your life and, um, and the way you come back to them. You know, things have this circularity, don't they? Uh, yes, so we were in Madrid um, and going to the Prado. Uh, it seemed to me that we were there for about a week. It may have been a few days less than that, but it was somewhere between several and, uh, yeah, or maybe, let's say several and, and a bit more days. Um, and uh, I did walk around the gallery um, a bit with mum and dad, but um, quite quickly decided that I wanted to sit and read my book. Uh, and I did uh, sat in, in a Velasquez a room where where Velasquez was present uh, as an artist, and um, and yeah, that painting, the Infanta Margarita, I do remember her uh, in the painting, and um, I think that's partly why I chose to sit in that area. It stayed with you all this time. Yeah, but it sort of not. Uh, it it sort of dipped. I mean, we left. Uh, Madrid after that point and it wasn't like I was thinking about her for the next um, 20 years um, particularly yeah so it, it, it was an, a, you know an, a passing encounter a, a bit of time where I was in in that reading kind of reflective state probably um, yeah can we talk about him as an artist perhaps uh, and then we'll get to the this painting itself, the fascination so many have had with it, and, and yeah, perhaps also sure. the, the the novel itself. But let's for many will be familiar, but for those not, mm. Mm. Uh, well, um, Diego Velasquez um, was born in um, fifteen ninety nine. Um, he uh, in the south um, of Spain. Uh, he grew up around uh, Sevilla um, or Seville. Um, he um, he's known as Spain's greatest painter. Um, uh, obviously, they have a number of exceptional painters, and that's that's partly what drew us to to Spain. Um, but uh, he was a painter of great mana, I think. Um, so he um, he was apprenticed to a master painter called Pacheco, uh, and he married his daughter um, uh, before he was twenty, and. Um, 
then moved to Madrid, uh, and his talent was recognised very early on uh, by by the the artist um, Pacheco, who he, he was apprenticed to, um, and uh, Velázquez becomes uh, a painter to the king. Um, gets various roles in the in the Alcazar in the Habsburg court in Madrid, uh, and um, but his painting talent uh, is recognised, and he, he his positions within the court gradually sort of raise in status. Um, yeah. It's a stunning painting. It really is. One can understand the million stories it started, including your own. And listeners, there's a, um, an image of on our, on our webpage if you want to look more at this particular painting. But his painting in general became a model for the 19th century realists and impressionists, right? And, and right into the 20th century. Mm. So... Mm. Truly uh, broad, broad influence on the likes of Picasso and Dali and so forth. Yes, and a lot of um, I th- what one of the things that fascinated me was all of the um, the reflexiveness of of the work. Uh, you know, it's it's reflexing within itself. Uh, there's a sort of a potential back into the past. Um, there's a moment in the present, and then there's a suggestion of the future which um, includes us as the viewer in that sort of process. So there's that, that, that um, kind of pivot point that it becomes, you know, almost a, a, a crucible kind of moment, um, what we're looking at, I think. Um, but uh, reflexiveness at a broader level um, in terms of how um, other artists, other writers, how everybody has responded to it. Um, I'm really, I'm, I'm in no way the first, obviously, to write about uh, Las Meninas, or, or and people have made so much art in response to it. Um, it's like a, a, you know, a very potent uh, work. It is. The depth, it's always fascinates me how paint, painters achieve depth, but there's a painting within it, there's more than one, but there's one particular painting within a painting, there's the exiting gentleman up the stairs at the rear of the room, and and these children in the middle. Let's come to um, your book then. Should, well, should we um, should we describe the painting a little bit more? Yeah, go for, ahead. You will do people. way better than me. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, uh, in in the foreground, we've got the inf- the young Infanta Margarita. Uh, she is quite young, and she's flanked by her waiting ladies. Um, and uh, there is a dwarf, a, a female dwarf, whose name is Maribarbola. Uh, and beside her, a figure who, is, to me, looks like a boy. And the, some of the art historical people call him uh, a dwarf. Or, um, and then um, over by the painting, we see that, uh, sorry, on the left of, of what we're looking at, we're seeing the, the back of um, an art, the artist's canvas that he's wo- ostensibly working on. Um, so, and he's Diego Velasquez, he's the one with the, the cross on his chest, uh, and he's holding a paintbrush and a palette, uh, and he's looking out at us, as are the other people who are with him. And then in the background, uh, there's an illuminated a, a doorway, and there's light coming from behind that, and there's a figure in that doorway. He was the um, Queen's Chamberlain, De Nieto. Uh, and the whole upper half of the work um, 
is um, there are there are paintings on the walls which you can't really work out what they what the subjects are, but they're, they're there as shapes. And um, and in the middle, at the centre, at the back, um, is something that initially looks like another painting, and it's actually um, as you as you look at it more closely, uh, a mirror. Ah, there you go. And mm. um, and that's when you, you know the the sort of magical illusion of the painting uh, sort of reveals to you that um, this is potentially the king and queen of Spain posing for a portrait, but having chosen, you know, for some reason they're not in the picture. Why, why, why has it prompted so much analysis? I, I think your description has probably set us on its way, but, <laughs> but, yeah. but people went further and, and extrapolated into its meaning or its intent, and what have been some of those conjectures? Oh, yeah. Um, it's almost mind-boggling sometimes. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I looked it up. I think there's something, there's something like 38 million hits on... Las Meninas on Google, uh, and there are about 250,000 uh, entries on Google Scholar uh, of scholarly articles which relate to it. Um, and uh, it's, a, you know, this great tidal wave of analysis. Um, it's kind of uh, potentially hugely daunting, um, and um, you might think you can't even start to say anything else about this work. Um, but on the other hand, um, you know, I, I, there was no way I could read and absorb it all. It was too much mm. for any one person. And so that element I sort of grabbed onto and thought, right, I'm also Start going to fresh. take it uh-huh. as a liberating thing. Uh-huh. You know. We mentioned Picasso, and, and let's just talk about that briefly, because yep. there's a particular reason to mention the, the influence of this with Picasso, and what is that? Uh, yes, um, well, in my, in my looking at the painting, um, uh, I, was really, well, I was really trying to listen to the artist First and foremost, I was trying to meet. I was trying to, yeah, literally, I guess, to kind of meet or to to work out as much as I could about Diego Velasquez. Um, And one of the people, um, so that I could see from his point of view, I guess. And one of the people who has also had, uh, I think, um, I mean, not like me, but on a whole other level, uh, a dialogue with Velasquez really fascinatingly uh, is Picasso. Uh, So Picasso, uh, 300 years after um, uh, Las Meninas was created, or thereabouts, um, but quite quite close to its uh, commonly established date, um, Picasso addressed um, Las Meninas uh, from his studio in Cannes and um, he did a series of studies of the painting. Um, and he, it wasn't just five or six or ten works. Uh, within about the period of about a month in um, 1957, and it was August, uh, a month to six weeks, I think, um, he produced 58 uh, works in response to Las Meninas. And the the big ones are his kind of full versions of of Las Meninas, but he also did a whole series of detail um, workings out as he, as an artist, um, I think navigated his way through the 
through the the image that was before him, um, through through the figures that he could see, uh, and through their metaphysical um, space uh, of, of that time, perhaps, uh, which is also kind of where I wanted to go. Um, so yeah, Picasso res- made this great response to it, and I had this strong feeling that he was having this conversation with Velasquez, um, and, and a dialogue is talked about by some of the historians uh, of Picasso. Um, but I think what really interested me too was that I could see that, in a way, um, you know, it, Picasso really connected with his painting on a personal level too. Um, he went to see it. Uh, when he was 14 with his dad, uh, and um, and he, he did say that it set the direction of his life, I, it was the critical work that he looked at in becoming an artist himself. He, he was already painting by then, um, but I, th- I thought that was pretty amazing. Um, yeah, <laughs> maybe he sat in the room reading as well. well. I, 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 th- I think well, he probably did. I don't, maybe he wasn't. He wouldn't have been reading. He was probably sketching. Yeah, he probably sat there and sketched it. Um, and then, um, as I as I learned more about Picasso, I discovered that his first wife, <clears throat> Olga, was a dancer, ballet dancer, and she was dancing in a ballet of Las Meninas when he met her. Um, so and that was early in early twentieth century. We're talking there. Um, so the, yeah. as we said, the reverberations, the ripples continue. Mm, Andrea mm. Hotori is our guest. We're talking about her first novel. We're going to get to it, The Vanishing Point, in a moment. Uh, and we uh, are talking about the influence, of course, of her experience while young of this uh, famous painting, Las Meninas. You're listening to Nine to Noon. It's 25 minutes past 10. So the Infanta Margarita, the child featured uh, in Las Meninas, she's one of the two central characters to this novel. And... To you, who was she, and, and why did her story become prominent uh, in the novel? Uh, yeah, well, t- to me, yes, good, good point. Um, she, she was the daughter. She's, she's foregrounded by Velasquez in the painting. Um, she's the visual, sort of at the visual centre to, to lower sort of front. Um, she was the daughter of the king of King Philip the Fourth and his second wife, uh, Queen Mariana. Um, she was described, uh, and I see this in her in, in when I look at her in this painting, but also of other portraits of her by Velasquez, um, uh, as the life of the palace. Um, I think when you look at Las Meninas, you see some of that youth, that sparkle. Um, the she sort looks of quite confident, actually, doesn't Kind of she? confident, a bit mischievous. <laughs> a bit of personality, exactly. A little bit of yeah. mischief. Yeah. Um, and a little bit of, I know who I am, thank you very much. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and, and she's there in that moment, and, you know, we don't know, you know, from when you look at the painting, you know, you sort of wonder what's going to happen next. Is she going to rush forward or do something else? But, yeah, she was this um, child within this... Uh, living within this court, within the Alcazar. Um, and um, my sense of her as a, as a young girl and then the discovery, um, well, actually, I thought I wanted to, it was a bit of a, start, a starting point. I, I wanted to find out who she was and what happened to her. Um, and quite quickly I got a couple of, um, you know, there are en- encyclopedia entries on her, um, so you can get an outline of of her life. Um, 
but there wasn't um, much detail at all um, about what what the pattern, the real in and outs and patterns of that life. N- nobody had written a biography of her um, apart from um, uh, yeah those encyclopedic entries, as I mentioned. Uh, there was an early, very early one by one um, writer, uh, but yeah, quite old-fashioned, not quite what you'd be hoping for, say, in a modern uh, biography of someone like that. And in imagining her life in the Spanish court in this period, I mean, this was the time when the Catholic Church held, held a lot of sway and, and, and uh, was much feared. Mm. You make reference to the Spanish Inquisition in the book. Um, so again, it this is the craft of the novelist, isn't it? Is is to project oneself into the life as well as the character, the life and the times. Uh, what what was the significance of of this point in history and in, in you imagining her? Um, well, um, in terms of Spain at that time, um, her her father um, was leaving a. a a bit of a void in the in the leadership, it has to be said. Uh, he was presiding over what was essentially a massive decline of the Habsburg Empire. Um, there were financial issues, uh, several bankruptcies, um, despite a few sort of victories which were kind of uh, lauded. Um, there were, you know, massive losses at war. Um, so uh yeah Spain was uh in a in a very difficult time and then al- also um the country was sort of uh suffering under the um inquisition as well so um if if you were not catholic uh you were potentially going to be um tried for heresy uh and that the inquisitorial court um, lasted for several hundred years. Um, it's quite a massive and, um, you know, scary kind of history. It's not for nothing that we say now, oh, don't give me the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, I, I had Monty that in my... Python, wasn't it? <laughs> I had the Monty Python sort of <laughs> in my head a few times. But, um, but it, it was no laughing matter at mm. the time. Um, mm. I think when I started writing, um, it was really Margarita's story that sort of I went, I explored first, and I, I possibly naively, um, I mean, I, I knew that the Spanish Inquisition was kind of there in the background, but um, I didn't think I quite had to grapple with the full mm. weight of it. Uh, but um, <laughs> as the years went on, um, I realised at a certain point that actually, yes, uh, the Spanish Inquisition and I were going to have to um, <laughs> get to know each other a bit. Hmm. We move across time periods, and, and also we have a second protagonist we'll mention as well, moving between the 1650s and 1991, and, and perhaps we should talk about our other um, our other key protagonist here, and, yeah, because that's another challenge, isn't it? And 1991 is still pre-internet again, isn't it? Yeah, um, <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, yeah, well, I did. I did set myself up um, with this idea of a dual timeline, um, and uh, it did cause me a few headaches, more than a few headaches. Um, 
But um, I had these two uh, protagonists who kind of appeared to me. And the modern one, we've talked about Margarita, and the modern one is Alex, um, a young woman in London uh, at the time that the novel opens. Um, and, uh, yeah, her, as you say, yeah, 1991, and that was uh, specifically pre-internet on my part as a choice of time frame. Um, I wanted her to go on a journey. I wanted her to investigate um, the, the, the painting, some of the suggestions about the painting that she'd discovered through her mother. And, um, yeah, the legwork associated with going to various um, places seemed to make things more dynamic. <laughs> I know now, you know, in movies and books, you know, people do Google things, but, yeah. I, you I did thought. it the hard way, the, investi- <laughs> the investigative journalist in you. Uh, it was that, and I think also, um, you know, I wanted to sort of honour some of the historians and the archivists and mm. people who, you know, who did all that, do all that hard work. Plus so. it does, it, it, it physically and mentally and emotionally puts you in a different place than staring at a screen. There's a scandal in here that's central to the novel and to the painting, and we won't detail it, but mm. it is something you've researched um, and, you know, um, what was its role, I guess, in developing the plot? There's some speculation around it also. I'm trying not to give things away. Mm, how, mm. how did you handle that, shaping that opportunity into the plot? Yes. Um, it's, it's funny how you sort of, go from one point to another. Um, I had read this um, this line in a book about Picasso um, saying that he had said that um, Las Meninas was a picture painted with curses. And I, I placed that in the novel. Uh, it came in from very early on, actually, when I was first writing. It was there, but I didn't fully develop it until later. Um, I didn't kind of explore all of the things that it could connect to. But I always had this sense that I was kind of missing something, that there was something else. Uh, And it was when um, uh, I discovered um, a historian who had um, looked at uh, some of the background of Philip's time in, in, in power and um, how he was operating. Uh, and it has to be said, there was some uh, debauchery going on. You had this weird um, contrast between a guy who was in public, very stiff and, um, you know, was said to sort of move, you know, almost like a statue and, and this rigid etiquette. Uh, and yet in the background, um, the more I read when I went to, in certain directions, the more I found there were some things going on that um, had potentially, potentially involved, um, you know, very high up people within mm. the kingdom. Yeah, and um, that, uh, I wondered, you know, how that environment and what had been known about that, how, how that had affected the artist, what he had seen. I noticed that in... Um, the literature and the plays, um, 
you know, there's a lot of bitter satire going on. Um, so um, while you've got the, the, the public face of the monarchy, in the background the artists and the writers are critiquing and people are gossiping um, about stories that are emerging. And when you have a lot of servants running around a palace, all, you know you know that the, the gossip grapevine is, is going to be sort of spreading. So um, some of that, some of what might have happened crept out uh, and um, I felt when I looked at the historical record um, that although uh, there had been a really good, um, some really good historians who had dealt with it, that in other ways subsequent historians had perhaps distanced themselves from something which was described as scabrous scandal. Um, and um, But I also noticed, uh, say, in the history of the Spanish Inquisition, although things weren't directly connected to the king, they were, they were definitely connected to people very close to him. Uh, and I just sensed that uh, I might be looking at a bit of a, a lacuna in the historical record, a gap. Um, uh, and you seized it. And I, my journalistic instincts were kind of, I was like, this is reading to me like documents have been deleted. <laughs> uh, yeah. If I'd done an OIA request... I wouldn't have, been, have been getting redactions everywhere, <laughs> and then somebody what might have mentioned in one other document off to the side that this name was here, and then it was back over here, and yeah, I don't know. Wonderful, Andrea. The the historian in you and the journalist in you and now the novelist in you has uh, produced this book and um, and congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Andrea, Thank you, Andrea Hotari, and uh, her first novel. We have been discussing.